This is Matthew chapter 14, beginning of verse 22. Immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side while He sent the multitudes away. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. Now when evening came, He was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. In other translations, it says, It's a heavy storm. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. In other words, to stand up, rise and get on the water. And I invite you to stand as Peter did for the rest of the story. So Jesus said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. The journey began. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me! And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Last Sunday, we had a message about the feeding of the 4,000 5,000 called No Fish. And if you remember the story, I also said at the end of that feeding that Jesus immediately told the disciples after they collected seven baskets of bread to get in the boat and go to the other side while He sent the crowds away. This occurrence of feeding those people happens and when Jesus sends them across the Sea of Galilee, this walking on the water event occurs. So we're talking about same day, same evening, uh, all back-to-back occurrences. This is also what we don't catch here in Matthew is when He asked him, uh, the disciples that is, had you any bread? Uh, that's what they thought anyway, talking about the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. So all this is happening right then. So this is bunched in. So we're going from no fish and no bread, if you will, to no doubt. But none of these things did the disciples understand. What happens is Jesus, when He sends the disciples away, goes off to a mountain to pray for a while. He's been ministering for three straight days. 
He needs some rejuvenation, some rest. Three days of work, day of rest. Sounds like a plan. That's what he does. Well, he needs to catch up to the disciples. And he's walking across the water in the storm to the disciples. Now, Jesus isn't afraid. Why would he be? He made it. <laughs> he knew all about it. He knew what was going to happen. But the story is that these waves are really strong, the wind is high, and the fishermen disciples are in the boat, and they see someone walking across the waves. This, to me, would seem unusual. It would seem to them highly unusual. And the Scripture even says they thought he was a ghost, an apparition. There is no two ways about it. They thought that he was not a person. People just don't walk on water. Fishermen know this. Yet, Jesus speaks. And He says, It's Me. Do not be afraid. Now, maybe He's thinking, when He says that, that that do not be afraid should be a blanket statement for the rest of their life. But according to the story, and you're going to find this out real quick, it was, don't be afraid, I'm not a ghost. And Peter wanted to make sure. You know, Peter, he's always the bold one. Jumps in there head first, even if it's a pool of sharks. And he says, it's really you, Jesus. Tell me to come out there. Nowhere in Peter's mind did he think it was Jesus. If he thought it was Jesus, he wouldn't have said, tell me it's you and I'll come on out there. Tell me to come and I'll come. But that's what he says. He says, command me to come to you on the water. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if that isn't a highlight in any life right there, I don't know what is. Lord, if it's you, command me to do something I can't do. Command me to walk on the water to where you are. I'll show you, God, that it's not you that called me. I think that's what he was thinking at first. And Jesus upsets the apple cart. Come. Come unto me. He says that to us as well. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest for your souls. Come to me. Come. Jesus is always calling to us. Come to me. But God, it's so hard. Come to me. It's difficult. Life is problematic. Come to me. God, you don't know the stress I have and all the problems I have and the difficulties and how much I hurt. Come to me. But God, it's hard. Might be impossible. Come to me. Peter goes. A lot of people talk about how foolish Peter is in this story because he doesn't walk on the water long. But you have 11 other disciples in the boat who don't get out of the boat. I found in many years of ministry that about 8 to 10% of people are the ones that volunteer for everything. And the rest 
The rest never get to experience the power of walking on water. Never get a chance to experience God's work in their life in dramatic, life-changing ways where all doubt strips away when you begin to talk about Jesus. Eleven don't get the story. Peter says to other people in the future, and this is, this is how I see him saying it, people talk about Jesus walking on the water and how He did that, and he said, so did I! For about 20 seconds. <laughs> but so did I. There was two people that walked on water, wasn't there? You know, we always say Jesus walked on water, but so did a fisherman. A fisherman walked on water. Well, a carpenter could, so why couldn't a fisherman? Makes more sense for a fisherman too. He's a guy who's around the water a lot. But when Peter starts walking on the water, it says he notices the waves are boisterous and the wind is high. And it says he doesn't look at Jesus but sees that and he begins to sink. question I have for you this morning is what causes you to lose sight of Jesus in your life? Do you question if He really is who He says He is, the one who can command you to come onto the water and walk on it? Do you question if the Bible really translates into life outside of Bible, into our real life? Does it really become relevant for you today? Is your faith relevant for daily living? Do you have foxhole faith? or a non-negotiable faith. Do you know the difference? Foxhole faith is when you got no one to turn to but God, you turn to God. Non-negotiable faith is that's your only choice. The doubt can go out the door because God's coming in in every situation that you pray and believe. But here it says that Peter began to sink and, and Jesus reaches out immediately. You know how long it takes to sink in water? You ever stepped off a diving board or off the edge of a pool? How long does it take you to go under? Not long, does it? You think Jesus is going to go, oh, I'm going to have to go down after him. <laughs> go swimming. It says he immediately stuck out his hand and caught him. He doesn't get all the way under. Jesus is that quick. Now, do you think God anticipates that you might slip? That you might not have enough faith that He's going to be there before you get all the way under. Before it becomes too far gone and you're way out of control. Do you think God knows the tragedies of your life? Do you think He knows the blessings of your life before they happen? It says, as He reached out to him, He lifts him back up as Peter's, save me. <laughs> I don't think he's just going like that either. I think he's really desperate. He knows what those storms can do. And that's the problem, is that he knows what the storms can do. He doesn't know what God can do. So Jesus reaches out and says, oh, you little faith. What a time for a lesson, right? Give me a life lesson while I'm drowning here. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And this word doubt means standing uncertainly at two ways. That there are two ways to go in a moment 
And doubt says, I don't know which way is right. Peter starts out with faith, but ends up with little faith because he saw two ways to go instead of one. Instead of just Jesus, now we had the storm to contend with. And don't we find it so easy for this world to distract us from faith? Sure we do. Matter of fact, there's a lot of discussion about the things that we need that can take us away from our security and stability in life. There are five basic needs of every person, and they are this. Love and belonging, freedom, survival, power, and fun. Any of those get disrupted and our lives begin to be precarious. And there are more things than that that we make uh, a full life with that we, obviously we have food, clothing, and shelter. But that comes under survival. But we also want to make a difference. But if those first five aren't in place, nothing else matters. Because if you don't have a place to live, food to eat, or clothes to wear, all of a sudden, whether or not you're making a difference kind of pales in comparison. If you're homeless, you're not thinking about, I wonder if I should go on a mission trip. You're thinking about, where am I going to sleep tonight? If you don't have food in your stomach, you're not thinking about, I'd like to go over there and, and build a Habitat for Humanity home one day. You're thinking about, where can I get something to eat? These things jump to the surface as priorities because they're survival things. We all have those needs. But once they're met, other needs come into play and things that make our lives valuable. Those core five are in place we feel like we can move forward in life. But without them, things like making a difference, being significant, and having a purpose become deeply secondary. And I mean very deeply secondary. And yet here we have this man, Peter, looking at the storm, taking his eyes off Jesus. And we want to use him as an example of what not to do. I don't know that I would be any better than Peter. I might have been one of the eleven afraid in the boat of the storm let alone the waves, walking on them. I'm no better than Peter. I'm sure I would look around. Whenever you get up on a, a, a high building, if you're afraid of heights, they say, don't look down. What are you going to do? You're going to look down. Of course you are. Don't be afraid, Jesus says to Peter, and he's afraid. The first thing that Jesus knows is going to happen, he says you don't have to do. If you're standing on a glass platform, 10 inches thick on a metal frame and you're a thousand feet up in the air and you look down through the glass, you're going to feel like you're going to fall. Even though you may be 100% safe, if you're afraid of heights, you're going to be terrified. But if someone says, oh, there's no need to be afraid, it's secure. Do you know what we say? <laughs> I don't know that. <laughs> you can't prove that by me. I don't know that that's a safe thing. Are you kidding? I can see all the way down to yesterday. No, no, no. I'm not going on that ledge. 
And I'm not looking to... Oh, I looked down. And, and Jesus keeps saying, Why are you afraid? Don't be afraid. But the question isn't, Why are you afraid? Because storms can be scary. And falling from a height can be deadly. And other things in life that we become afraid of can destroy us. But it isn't what He says. He doesn't say, why are you afraid? Catch the question. Oh, when you have little faith, why is there doubt? Mm-hmm. Oh, says Peter, I'm not doubting. These waves can kill me. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty darn sure of that. Maybe you'd be in the same situation if you're uh, racing at a high speed and your car gets out of control and you start flipping and you go, uh, I, I, I don't have any doubt. I'm a goner. I don't have any doubt. Unless God does something, I'm a goner. Then fear, panic takes over. And in life we find that that fear isn't a bad thing. Fear is a God-given thing. There's actually healthy fear. We're born with two. Fear of heights is one of them. Did you know that? We're born with two fears. And the funny thing about it is, is they're both healthy. And a lot of times, we want to say they're not. But then there's unhealthy fear. But I have a question for you. Do you think Peter's doubt and fear in those moments were based on healthy or unhealthy fear? After all, something was happening in this story that you may not see. And I want to point this out to you this morning. Peter's been on a lake before. In Mark we see that the storm almost capsizes the fish and, uh, ship and Jesus is asleep. And they, they ask Him, why are you sleeping? Don't you care? We're all going to die. You understand? He knows what storms do to boats. He can surely do more to a man. Mm-hmm. He knows, doesn't He? He's experienced this as a fisherman on that boat. <coughs> he knows how those storms can come up without warning. Mm-hmm. He knows how that other people he knows may have lost their life there. He knows. So when Jesus says, don't be afraid, how's he going to know different? Mm -hmm. All his life he's seen storms are dangerous. And here he's saying, if it's you, Jesus, I'm going to come out in the storm to you. Um, Because it's you, and I'm going to trust you over the storm. But the storm is still there. And he still knows what he knows. But here's what happens when Jesus calls us. He asks us to question what we know. What do you really know about this world? What do you really know about storms, Peter? What do you know about boats and wrecks and loss of life? What do you really, really know? And Peter would say, I know it happens. And Jesus would say this to him, not on my watch. Not with me. But we don't get that in the story, do we? All we see is that Peter's on the water and he loses faith. 
what does he lose faith in? It's not that he's losing faith in something. It's he's standing with two different mindsets. I know what happens in these storms. And I'm walking on the water. And this other thing starts to take priority. He starts to see his reality is what the storm says, rather than what Jesus asked him to do, which was come to me. The storm is keeping Peter from doing what Jesus asked. Do you see the difference? If Jesus asks you to do it, a storm will not prevent you from it. I've been deathly sick on a Saturday night, early Sunday morning, but I've never missed a preaching engagement. There was one Sunday where I was sermonless. I had no idea. I just wrote a sermon title and I had no idea what to say. And I got up there and I'm going, God, I don't know what to do. He says, I'll take care of it. I'm going to know you and you always do, but I don't know what to do. Out of nowhere, a five-inch snowstorm canceled church. I said, God, you're so good. The only time in my life I've never had a sermon or an idea of what to say. It wasn't here. This was years ago. i got a lot to say now. Um, apparently. The only time was when I didn't need it. And yet here I was worried. And God's going, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? Someone in the church that morning called and said, we got five inches of snow, preacher. I think we ought to call church off. And I said, I'm okay with that. By four o'clock that evening, it was 60 degrees and the snow was almost gone. And I said, God, you're good. You're good. That just doesn't happen in West Georgia. It did that year. It did that year. First snowfall in seven years of any measurable significance. And it happened at the right time, didn't it? What if Jesus was a foot further away from Peter and couldn't quite reach him? Well, Peter made it far enough to Jesus that he was almost within arm's reach when he began to sin. But I think Jesus took the next step to catch him. He knows what's going to happen. But we keep beating ourselves up thinking, well, Peter just didn't keep his eye on what's wrong with him. What? We're the same way. Our reality comes into question every time Jesus asks us to do something. We get fearful. Boy, do we get fearful. Especially when fear comes up. You see, there's different kinds of fears. There's financial fears. There's relationship fears. All these things can keep us from going forward. Physical fears. Emotional fears. Identity fears. And trust-based fears. I'll give you an example of each of those. For financial fears, it's fear of poverty. Or not having enough. Or always being paycheck to paycheck and never getting ahead. In relational fears, it's fear of criticism. Of disappointment. Of being alone. Of rejection. Fear of being ridiculed. Or loss of love or not finding love ever. The physical fears, bad health, aging, loss of our own freedom. One day we'll all get old enough and we won't be able to drive or won't be able to keep our own homes. We all fear that, don't we? We also fear pain. 
physical fear, when the sum of all fears said Plato was death. That's a physical fear. It's behind all fears. Another fear is mutilation. Some people are afraid that they're going to be part of their body destroyed if they ever get in a wreck. Well, what if I can't walk anymore? What if I can't use my hands? What if I'm disfigured? The emotional fears. Fear of uh, uncertainty. Fear of misery. I'm just going to be miserable my whole life. We're afraid of that. Or fear of responsibility. You might say, well, that's not an emotional fear. Yes, it is. Because we're afraid that the responsibility is going to destroy us. And it's an emotional thing rather than a, a thing of responsibility all of a sudden. fact of the matter is, our five core, one of them is power, and then power is responsibility. If we don't have responsibility for something, we feel powerless. It's a core need to be responsible for something. The identity fears. Fear of failure. Oh, I'm going to be seen as a failure. Fear of success. Oh, I'm going to have success and I'm afraid I won't know how to handle it. Uh, fear of excellence is an identity fear. A fear of being wrong. Well, you're just wrong. You're, you're, you're just not a normal person. You're wrong. God made you wrong. You, you're, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're not quite put together correctly and therefore... As a person, you're, you're faulty, defective material. And then also identity is, uh, fear is identity loss and probably one of the biggest ones. And this is the one I think Peter had. One of two. You see, Peter is a fisherman. That's his identity. But Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Just a little transformation on fishermen to fishers of men. But in the same Situation is also a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's an apprentice rather than a master. He's learning. And Peter's a guy that wants to get out and get stuff done. Sometimes he jumps ahead of the master. <laughs> and we see that on many occasions, but it's still it's aggressive. But his identity loss in the storm that day was... Am I a fisherman by my identity of this storm? Or do I belong to Jesus and trust Him in my identity with this storm? Which one wins? Which one do I have faith in more? And the trust-based fears, and I think this is the other one for Peter, there's the fear of the unknown. More so the fear of the known. Because what I know can hurt me. <laughs> but what I don't know might happen, I'm afraid of as well, because it could be out lurking somewhere. Noises in the dark. <laughs> Footsteps behind us that we don't know who are. Another trust-based fear is the fear of intimacy. The fear of being separated from someone we love. Or the fear of loss. In other words, something's going to be taken away from me. And I think with Peter, that trust-based fear for him was a fear of loss. I'm going to lose my life. Jesus said, come. I'm going to lose my life. I trusted Him, but I'm sinking anyway. I believe God's challenging our view of reality and what makes sense when He calls us in Jesus Christ. 
You see, I've, I've learned something about God, and you probably have too, and that's he, he doesn't make sense all the time to us. He's not logical according to the way we think. But His ways are higher than ours, and His thoughts much higher, and His logic is without fail. His reasoning is without fault, and His actions are without fail. His consistency in that He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We're not like that. It doesn't make sense to us. So there are things that make us doubt that God could be like that. How could that be possible? How could the one who created the storms be walking in the midst of it? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't translate. It's in my head. But my heart says these storms are dangerous. I'm standing here at a crossroad, standing uncertainly in two ways. What makes you believe in Jesus? What makes you call on Him? What makes you say, You're my Lord and my God? What makes you worship Him? What is it that draws you to Him? There are things that draw us away. There are things that draw us close. And believe it or not, each one of us struggles with that. In James chapter 1, we read the following verses. It talks about someone who asks God for wisdom and they shouldn't expect to get it. It says, let this man ask in faith without doubt. You ever heard that phrase, why did you doubt anywhere before? I think Jesus said that to Peter when he's lifting him up out of the water. Why do you doubt? Let him ask in faith without doubt. For whoever doubts, look at this. It's like a wave in the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Do you think Peter's doubting? Being tossed by the wind and the waves. He's on him. He's sinking into him. Of course he is. But listen to the next verse 7. But not let that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You say, well, that's not fair, Pastor. The man's sinking in water. How can you say, well, he's doubting and, and all this? I'm, I'm quoting Jesus. A double-minded believer is somebody who's constantly living in a state of compromise. Half of you lives for God. The other half lives for yourself. Thus, double-minded. There are seven characteristics of a double-minded believer. The first one is that there are two major influences which fuel your thought life. A double-minded Christian is always being torn in two directions. They have a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but also a relationship with a particular thought or obsession that they can't let go of. It's a miserable way to attempt to live a Christian life. The second characteristic of a double-minded believer is that you have a history with both of your major influences. Even if you've walked with Jesus Christ for years, a double-minded life has circumvent much of the good which the Holy Spirit wants to work in you and through you. What every believer desperately needs is to fully surrender their heart and mind to the Lord. Heart and mind. We serve God with our mind, but our heart keeps getting pulled otherwhere. 
And sometimes we get it, I've given my heart to Jesus, but my thinking just doesn't line up. That's double-mindedness when we don't come to agreement with what our loyalty is and what our thinking does. A third characteristic of a double-minded believer is you find yourself compromising your thought life in one primary area. Not everything. There's just one area maybe that sticks out. You see, Satan hates to see believers fully surrendered to God, so he keeps pulling this thing in that's your weakness and lets you keep thinking about it. For some people, it's, oh, I'm not worthy, or I'm the black sheep, or no one will really like me if they knew me. And that's exactly what the devil does to keep you from putting yourself out there and risking. You stay in the boat. The fourth characteristic, you're led by the Holy Spirit, except when that other issue is driving your thinking. You see, that other issue you can never get enough of. keeps pulling you back. Whether it's fear, doubt, or a sin issue, and you end up double-minded about it, at least until you can repent and come clean. The fifth characteristic, you only experience real peace in your heart when your mind is under God's control. I promise you, if you're struggling with something in your life that's not obedient to God, you're not going to have peace about it. Not until you surrender it back over to God. There's no peace for the believer who's going against his conscience and against the Word of God. You feel out of control. You feel pulled in the directions of your thoughts rather than gently led down a flowing river of grace and peace. The sixth characteristic is you find yourself giving in to the old habits easily. It's hard for a double-minded believer to stay away from the danger zones. They keep taking your peace. The seventh characteristic, probably the most important one, and this is why I think we are like Peter and Peter is like us. It's You would love to only be drawn to the things of God. You really just want to please God in your heart. You really do. When it comes down to the other day, you go, God, I just want You. I really don't want this other stuff. I just want You. I don't want to be afraid of the storms. I just want to come to You and find rest. But I'm still afraid. But I just want You, God. I really do. And my actions show otherwise. But God, in my heart, if I could find a way to get there, I would stay. Deep within the soul of every believer is the desire to live fully for God. That desire was planted inside of you when you were converted through faith in Jesus Christ. He put the Holy Spirit in there. The Holy Spirit took residence within your body. And you immediately began to experience the desire to do things God's way. That's the indwelling power of God in you. And that desire will always be there deep in your soul. Even when you're double-minded. Because when it's going on, you go, God, God, I don't want to do this. I just don't. But I, I can't stop looking at that storm. The struggle keeps taking my mind away from you, God. I can't stop it. The only way to experience the joy and peace God intends for you is to get back to a single-minded approach. But you can't do that on the storm, on the waves, in the wind. 
You can't get back there when everything's pulling you every direction and your anxiety and your fears flying everywhere. Survival becomes more important than whether or not Jesus said come. But you can come back to that single-minded approach just like when you first came to know Jesus. By His grace, you can get back there. After all, it was only His grace that brought you into that relationship in the first place. What made you believe in Him? What brought you to His heart and to have His heart forming in you? What did that for you? I'm thinking it's when no doubt was present. And He took all the questions and fears away in a moment. And later they come rushing back. Jesus, can you really get me through this one? Are you really Lord of all creation? Or, or is it something in the Bible? Is it, are you real? This morning I'm asking you to trust like you've never done before. To trust that Jesus is real. To abandon any other idea or thought in your mind. You know how hard that is when the waves are crashing? God, the boat's going down, but I trust You. God, what about the people on the Titanic who said the same thing? They went down with the ship. God, am I going down with the ship? And what God is saying is, it does not matter as long as you trust Me. It's not about the ship. It's about trusting Jesus. We keep putting what might happen as the reason we shouldn't trust Him. It's the reason we should. Those that go down with the ship better have more trust in Jesus than those that saved their life on a lifeboat. Do you understand it takes more faith to go down with the ship and say, I still trust God than it does to get saved and, and have another day and say, God, thank you for that storm. Will you get me through the next one? So Jesus looks at Peter and He says, I got you. And he's not chastising the man. He's asking, why don't you believe? What's taking you from me? He's heartbroken. What's taking you from me, Peter? What's more important to you than me? Why do you doubt me? that I am who I've shown you to be. Why do you doubt that I am Jesus? God's Son. You even said it yourself, I'm the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Christ who is to come. Yet in the next sentence, when Jesus chastises Peter for Peter rebuking him, He says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Peter still got the double-minded. Do we ever cross over to full assurance? The answer to that is it's your choice. That was a choice. It's not 